0: Do not know why that is so dark. Everybody. And for some reason, that camera is really dark, uh, so hello, everybody. This is Jackie Lupman, Uh in a much darker, <laughs> a much darker room it's looking like than I mean it to be. So uh, let me see if I can fix that, hold on. Oh, why? <laughs> All right, I think that's a little bit better camera. Hello everybody, this is Jackie Lukman. There's always some technical weirdness going on when you're doing this on a shoestring on your own dime without CNN and MSNBC and uh, uh, the Young Turks money. <laughs> this is uh, a new episode of Live and Coffee Current Events and Politics in Lukman Nation, the most dangerous show on social media. Anywhere, and if we have not earned that title, any other night, I think we're going to earn it tonight, because I think we need to be really, really serious about what is going on in this country right now. Um, that is not new; it's not um, it's not an anomaly. You got a lot of people saying about what uh, this particular president. Uh, is doing, saying that, oh, this isn't America and, you know, how could, how could we, uh, uh, how are we like this and how could we be this country and what have we become? That's my favorite one. My favorite one is what have we become? I think that's one of the most ridiculous statements uh, about this country because the issue is not what have we become. This is what we've always been as a country. Um, So listen, we're going to talk about this really quickly. Uh, Not going to spend a whole lot of time delving deep, deep, deep into it because we are talking about four or 500 years of this issue of white supremacy in this country and even longer around the rest of the world. We're talking, we're talking Manifest Destiny, we're talking the Monroe Doctrine, we're talking uh, uh, the Papal Bulls, we're, we're talking a lot. All of the capitalist systems of the developed countries in the world being built on the backs of enslaved and massacred indigenous people so that's, we just don't have time to get into all of that. But if you want to look at this, look into some of that, please check out Brick by Brick uh, with Jacqueline Mon. But let's talk about what's going on in the United States right now, especially this past week with these um, ice raids at the food processing plant in Mississippi. First of all, uh, let's just make it really clear that that's not the first time that, that was done. Like, there, the same thing was done. Some food processing plant owner or manager called ICE at a food processing plant in Toledo and another, I think, in Illinois. Uh, so, uh, and, and recently, in response to employees who wanted or were trying to unionize. Same thing is what happened in Mississippi, only what happened at the Coke Foods uh, processing plant and Coke uh, Foods, by the way, is not affiliated with the Coke Brothers. I've seen that online a little bit and that's actually not true. The Coke Brothers have nothing to do with Coke uh, food processing. But what happened in this particular plant is that Workers were trying to unionize and last year, no, three years ago, the plant settled with the workers a $3.7 million sexual uh, sexual harassment and uh, um, workplace harassment lawsuit. For years, managers at the Coke foods processing plant were sexually harassing the women workers and the managers were intimidating the male workers and the husbands of the women who were being sexually harassed to the point where they would force them to pay to go to the restroom. That's how much control and power they wanted to make sure the men understood they had over them to the point where men, they would they would force men to soil themselves while they were working on the floor, on the line. And this is what's going on at the same time that these same people were sexually harassing the women and some of these men's wives. So uh, there was this pattern, a, 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 uh, a system of retaliation of both Uh, exploitation, because some workers were undocumented, but at this point, the whole undocumented worker, immigrant argument is just, it's just, can we just call it what it is? It's bullshit. It's bullshit because a little bit of history, the people who are making such a big deal about undocumented and immigrant workers and illegal immigrants, their ancestors came here without any kind of documentation, eight and a half times out of 10. We talked about the history of immigration laws and immigration regulations in this country on coffee current events and politics. We talked about it uh, uh, on Brick by Brick, but Google it, look it up on our page. This country has not always had laws that require documentation from your country of origin or approval from this country for people to come here from another country. And if we really, really, really want to be honest, the people who originally came here to colonize this country, to establish colony, colonies and settlements were rejects from Europe, most of them. They weren't, most of them were not coming here for religious freedom. That's what they've told us all this time. That's not what, why most of those people were coming here. A lot of those people came here because they were criminals in Europe and they were sent here as a punishment and all of the, the, the subsequent generations of immigrants from various European countries who went through Ellis Island, no documentation. Most of them had no documentation outside of maybe a birth certificate. And most of the time they didn't even have that. So this whole argument about who should and should not be here, aside from the fact that everybody who's here if you're not Native American, you're, okay, <laughs> if if you're not a descendant of the indigenous people who were here before any of the settlers came here, then. So this is a big, huge issue, this whole immigration issue. And, and we are gonna get into it more on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on another episode, but tonight we, we wanna talk about what this means in the context of white supremacy, because see, this is a bunch of, of corporate uh, owners who recruited and hired and are exploiting economically and socially and all, in all kinds of other ways one group of non-white people. And it's not the first time they've done it, it's a pattern, it's a campaign of control and retribution that has been used in many industries across the country. The largest such incident before now happened in Smithfield, in Smithfield, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, one of the Carolinas, I forget, I think it was South Carolina. North, thank you Abdus. Mr. Lukman is in the other room. He's tired tonight cuz we've had a pretty busy weekend. So, I'm I'm giving him the night off. <laughs> so in Smithfield, what happened in Smithfield? If you if Smithfield sounds familiar, it should. It's the place where the bacon comes from. If if you've never been to Smithfield, um at one time, the food processing plant was the entire town. Smithfield the food processing plant had its own jail they had its own court system they had their own police department they had their own sheriff they had their own judges so that meant if employees were breaking the law inside the Smithfield plant they would be arrested by the Smithfield cops uh, 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 their case would be seen in front of a, a Smithfield judge, not even not even making this up. And they would be thrown in, in jail on the property of the Smithfield plant because Smithfield at the time was incorporated in its own, it, it was its own incorporation as a town, as a municipality. And what happened was black workers were targeted and Latino workers were targeted. They were kept separate so that they wouldn't talk to each other And the white managers and supervisors would tell the black people, well, the Latinos, they're getting paid more money and they're talking shit about you. And then they would tell the Latino workers the same thing. And there was all this suspicion and hatred between the Latino workers and black workers until one day somebody started talking to each other among the Latino workers and the black workers. And they realized, hold on, they are screwing both of us over. They're screwing all of us over. How much do you make? They told me you made more than we do. Well, they told me you made more than we do. Nobody was getting paid that much money. Everybody was being harassed. Everybody was being subjected to workplace uh, harassment and unsafe working conditions. So you know what happens? What always happens when groups of marginalized people realize who their one common enemy is, they started to organize. Latino workers and black workers at Smithfield started to organize, pushed for a union. And what did the managers at Smithfield do after the employees fought for 10 years? From like around 1998 until uh, like 2007 or 2008, they finally voted to implement a union at Smithfield, but not before the owners of Smithfield called ICE twice and raided the plant and carted off hundreds of undocumented workers. That was to shut people up, but it didn't. So the same thing is happening here. Yes, what happened in uh, Mississippi is a part of this white supremacist uh, campaign of terror that's being waged against immigrants, non-European brown people from Central and Latin American countries and also against African immigrants too. Yes, that is a part of Trump's pogrom against immigrants, but it's also a tactic that has been used by corporations that use uh, uh, um, uh, that, that exploit low wage workers, that ex- exploit marginalized and vulnerable workers. And then they treat them like crap and they use deportation as a form of control and retaliation, retribution and fear so that the people who are left are too afraid to fight back against any of the things that, that these people do absolutely racist, but it's also a form of of how capitalism thrives on the concept of white supremacy. How it's, it's, it's perfectly all right for people to make money off of vulnerable people who need a job to feed their families. And if you can pay these people the least amount of money possible, to create your product, but to keep them from demanding better for themselves because everyone who works deserves a decent living wage, you hold their their vulnerable status over their head because they're non-European people. From a country that didn't approve them to be here, And it's something that you know you would never do to European immigrants. When was the last time you've seen ice raids at rich people's houses dragging undocumented nannies out? You ain't never seen that. Guess what? You ain't gonna never see it. You will never see it out. Okay, I won't say never. Never is a strong word. But the day you see it happen, mark that day, play the lottery on that day, Because that's not how white supremacy works. Every once in a while, white supremacy will go after some European people just to kind of say, see, we're not racist, but really white supremacy thrives off of the oppression of marginalized non-European people. Because why? Because European people will go along with it. That's why. And this has been true since forever. This, is, this isn't new, this, this is why it bothers me and, and Mr. Luke Luqman, it even bothers our dog. Brewski gets mad at it. He growls at the television when people get on television and say things like, what have we become? We've always been this. This country has always been an experiment in white supremacy and capitalism and how the two can build an empire. I don't, I don't know how else to explain that within a little bit of time we have left, but white supremacy isn't new to this country. What's new-ish, what's new in this generation, what's new to a lot of people who are new to politics, what's new to a lot of people who don't have a firm grounding in history is that under this president, White supremacy has a new grassroots mobilization, right? Okay, what do I mean? Like when I was a kid and no, let me, let me go back a little bit further. You've heard me talk about how my mom integrated her high school and how our hometown um, was pretty much run by the Klan, it, it's true, it was. My dad had to fight to walk down to the bottom of the hill in his neighborhood because white people would beat up any black person who uh, tried to come down the, to the hill and go down their end of the street or black people couldn't come up the hill. So there was a special road that, be- you know, the, the the grassroots organization of white supremacy during that time was the Klan. Did, is this making sense to you now? The, the grassroots mobilization of white supremacy and, and uh, racial terrorism was uh, the Klan for racial violence, physical racial violence and intimidation. And it was organizations like the Citizens Council and <laughs> the, 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 uh, 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 the homeowner, the, the FHA, before it was formally called the FHA, redlining in, in uh, uh, legislation, it was uh, segregation, it was Jim Crow, it was vagrancy laws, it was segregated schools, as far as uh, the social organization, the political organization of white supremacy. And that was in every state, it was sundown towns in the Midwest. So okay, let, let's not just sit here and blame the South It was uh, de facto segregation, like in California, on the West Coast in Washington, and and where, where there wasn't legal segregation, but black people knew that there were some places in public, restaurants, hotels, stores that they couldn't go in and be served. That was the the grassroots state level uh, from from a person, from an individual person to the laws that were passed by legislators organization of white supremacy and racism in that time. And after the civil rights movement or the culmination of the civil rights movement, because again, the civil rights movement didn't just start with the Montgomery bus boycott. Honestly, the civil rights movement has been going on pretty much since we've been here and did want to be enslaved. But after that, people had this, after the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and all of the other legislation that came out of that, the Housing Rights Act, Fairness in Education uh, Act or you know, all of this other legislation that came out of the Civil Rights Act era, people started to believe that racism went away, that we defeated racism. When what really happened was that white supremacy and racism didn't have the grassroots mobilization that existed in previous generations because laws were changed to stop people from being able to profit from organizing and mobilizing on the basis of racial bias. But it's not like white supremacy and and racism went away. It still existed, but you didn't have organizations that were dedicated to it. You didn't have, uh, not in public. You didn't have people that were Connected with these organizations who were able to pass laws to continue to enshrine overt racism, but white supremacy maintained its place in this system through discrimination after the GI, uh, through the GI Bill, through the continued effects of redlining, through income and wage inequality between black and white people that has grown astronomically since the Civil Rights Act. Through the rise in military, militarized policing and the increasing incidences of racialized police violence in black neighborhoods. It's always been there. It was always there. Please understand this. Police were always kicking black people's asses because the police were always and were established to be the law enforcement arm, the enforcement arm of white supremacy when the Klan lost its effectiveness. Always. So, police killing black people, that's not new. Just make that clear. So, White supremacists, white supremacy, the system, the ideology of white supremacy didn't have this grassroots organization behind it, didn't have this network of the Klan and the Citizens Council and the upstanding members of business that were, uh, they might not have wanted to be in the Klan, but they could be uh, uh, members of the Citizens Council and organizations like it that had a clear white supremacist agenda and they enacted that agenda through legislation. That loss, that kind of organization lost its efficacy. Those organizations were broken up, but they didn't go away. They just were a little bit dormant. They went underground, they bided their time. They never stopped being racist and they never stopped wielding the influence that they could, where they could, to maintain the system of white supremacy. So what's different today? Well, today, what's different is they have a messianic figure. That's what we were talking about Sunday. uh, uh, I'm sorry, Uh, that's what we were talking about uh, the other day. What day was that? Thursday, I think it was, when we were coming from a protest here in Washington, D.C., against a major developer who is trying to block um, the development of a halfway house for uh, returning citizens who are coming out of federal prison. Everybody deserves a second chance. Everybody... People who make mistakes deserve a second chance and people who are trying to reconnect with their families and their neighborhoods have a, a better chance of staying out than people who are shipped off to a place where there are no, they, they don't have any access to the people who care about and love them and can support them. So if this development doesn't happen, then around 300 black men coming out of federal prison. Most of them are black. Yes, this is a racial issue. Won't, there there will be no halfway house services in Washington, DC. And the person who is stopping this is this developer named Doug Jamal, who's made billions of dollars off of gentrifying this city. He himself is a convicted criminal, but because he's rich, And a non-black person, he was able to have the judge tell him, well, you contribute so much to society, we're not gonna throw you in jail right now. But he will not allow a property he owns to be developed for a halfway house for men to come back and have the chance that he was given at getting themselves back into society. That's a function of white supremacy. That is how white supremacy has maintained, one of the ways white supremacy has maintained its efficacy. And and Doug Jamal may not actually be a racist, but he is operating within the paradigm of white supremacy because he's doing this by targeting mostly black and brown people. It's not something he would do if this were a bunch of white people it's white people with money who are telling him that they don't want this halfway house in their uh a business development uh in their in their area that's being developed for business never mind the black people who need our people here and as we were coming from, from this protest we were talking about gentrification cuz that's what this is it's a part of gentrification and how This is all a part of this wider issue of white supremacy, all the different ways that white supremacy looks and works, all the different things and the the, the ways that it affects people. May not be overtly racist on the surface, but it's absolutely white supremacy as a system. And how so many people are shocked that these things are going on, but we've been telling you all about this for decades. And it seems to be on steroids now because these people have in the White House their messianic figure who is giving them this feeling of of emboldenedness, if that's a word, emboldenedness, I guess. They've always felt this way. These people who are murdering communities of immigrants, Muslims, and who are uh, marching down the street with full Nazi regalia, proudly proclaiming themselves to be white nationalists and white supremacists. These people have always felt this way. Trump did not start making them think this way. He didn't say stuff and all of a sudden People who didn't have racist ideas were like, oh my God, he's right, I hate immigrants. They've always felt this way. Not only have these people always felt this way, but they have always done things to harm the communities of people that they hate. Even if they were not able to do it on a a community-wide level, I guarantee you these people have done some nasty stuff to some non-white people they've come in contact with. So let's stop acting as if this this racial hatred is new. Let's stop acting as if these people were suddenly radicalized by, you know, the the white supremacist in, in chief, Donald Trump. No, no, these people have always been here. They have always been racist. Let's be clear, the agents who carried out the raid at the food processing plant in Mississippi, they were employees of ICE before Trump became president. He didn't just hire all those people. He didn't go find a bunch of extra racist people to hire so he could carry out these these people have been employees of ICE and have been doing this and have been perfectly willing to do it for way longer than Trump was president. You see that not one of them resisted. You see that not one of them, not not an ICE agent, not a border patroller, People are all freaked out about what's going on in the detention centers that with the children and separating children at the border and putting babies in cages. Do you know how long these people have been doing this? They've been doing this for years. These Some of these Border Patrol agents have been working with these white supremacist vigilante groups in some of the border states, and they've been murdering people who have been... This is a new, Trump did not start that. These people have been willing to do this and they have been doing this for years. The only difference now is they have someone in the White House who is cheering them on. That's it, that is the only difference. He's not making them do anything that they haven't been doing before. He's just encouraging them to be open and free about it, that's all. That really is all, y'all. That honestly is all that is going on. These people aren't new recruits. This this kid who, who this person, I can't even call him a kid because I don't want people to, to make the excuse that he was just a child and he didn't know what he was doing. This, this monster who murdered these people in El Paso (laughs) had connections to these hate filled groups on these game sites, 8chan, 4chan. I had heard these things talked about, but because I'm not a gamer like that, I don't pay too much attention to them, but I'd heard that they have become over time Cesspools of racism and sexism and homophobia and xenophobia, just the most hateful, disgusting comments from the most hateful. And people thinking that these folks are like just saying stuff because they're online and they're anonymous. No, they really believe this. There are people out there who really feel this way. They really hate us. They really want us dead. Some people just feel like this president gave them the intestinal fortitude, the courage they needed to finally act on behalf of the white race. That's what that that murderer's manifesto said. Not that Trump made him do these things, but that he agrees with Trump, that he had these feelings about immigrants, this hatred for immigrants long before Trump But it was Trump that made him realize that he had to act. They've got their messianic figure in the White House. He's not the creator of this hatred. He's just the guy who who unlocked the door and left it open. That's all. The dogs have always been there so when we look at people that we're interacting with online and and you know it's it's i'm going to have to end on this i'm i'm going to make some people mad when i say this but i'm 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 so frustrated with a lot of progressives and this whole lifting up of of Joe Rogan right now because Rogan had Cornell West and Bernie Sanders on his show and and that's you know it's great Okay, that's fine, but let's understand. I I think we can, here's how I see it. I'm fine with Sanders going on whatever platform he feels like he needs to go on to talk to people who needs to hear his message, his his policies from him instead of hearing an interpretation of his policies from a bunch of right-wing psychopaths. Okay, fine. I'm not entirely crazy about Cornell West going on anybody's show to talk to a bunch of crazy-ass racists, but th- that's a personal thing with me. I, and this is not to say that I don't have mad respect for both of them. I do. I'm, I'm I have mad respect for Cornell West. But here's the problem I have. And and before people start commenting, I'm not endorsing Sanders or any other politician. I'm just telling you what's happening. Here's a problem I have with people celebrating Joe Rogan, though, Joe Rogan will have anybody on his platform who he can get big ratings for. And that means that Rogan has had white supremacists on his platform. He's had Alex Jones, not, listen, Alex Jones is not just a conspiracy theorist nut. He's also a white nationalist, white supremacist. Rogan has had Milo Yiannopoulos on his show. And the only reason people, conservatives, white people, racists got pissed off at Yiannopoulos who was a contributor for Breitbart was because Yiannopoulos sounded like he advocated having sex with minors. That's the only reason white people got mad at Yiannopoulos. All the other white supremacist, white nationalist shit he'd said at Breitbart, people were fine with. And so was Rogan. Joe Rogan has had Jordan Peterson on his show. Jordan Peterson is the modern day intellectual racist figurehead. He's had Gavin McInnes on his show. We all know who, I mean, so it's, it's like you, I, and I hear people say, well, you know, anybody should be interviewed, why? Why, do I really need to interview Charles Manson for you to know that Charles Manson is fucking insane? And he facilitated horrendous, horrendous murders. Do I really need to interview Charles Manson for you to get that? No. So this idea that we need to continue to give a platform for racists to explain themselves and to give credence and legitimacy to their racism continues to be a problem. It's a problem we had in 2016 with people who were saying that we should work with uh, the